Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I am a New York attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, Can you keep a secret? knowing how to respond to the question. Over the following weeks and months, I will be tackling some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing with you not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me to have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. So we can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. So we can talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk today about identifying a pedophile. This is a question I get asked very often. And in a recent interview that I did on Zoom with individuals in the US and in Ghana, specifically talking about my book, my story of surviving childhood sexual abuse, the very important question that came up is how exactly does one identify a pedophile? Now, this is a very difficult question in my opinion. Why do I say that? Because the sad reality is that primarily a person who abuses a child moves among us very much undetected and there is no real sign or signs because often these people are very smart and shrewd that they can get away with illegal, harmful and destructive sexual behavior against children for years and decades without anybody realizing whatsoever. A friend of mine's recently shared an experience that she had had with a pastor. She gave me permission to share her story, which I'd like to do right now. Now, when it comes to grooming, which we covered in the previous episodes, grooming can be defined in one word, preparation, preparing somebody for school, preparing yourself for work, or in the case of sexual abuse, preparing a child for sex. Now, this girl shared with me how when she was younger, this pastor would provide her with support. He would listen to her. He became almost a father figure. Now, although she grew up with both a mother and a father, she had a need, which is something we covered last week. She had a need and her currency, her vulnerability was to really have a father figure in her life, despite the fact that she grew up with both her mother and her father in the same household. Now, this pastor would spend time with her, support her, and on one occasion, he took her out, held her hand, and bought her lots of gifts. Now, looking back on that, she shared with me how that instance made her very uncomfortable. And because he's a pastor, she did not think anything of it at the time. However, on a separate occasion, he in fact was isolated with her. They were in a private space together when she was seeking him for counsel, for advice, and he decided to take advantage of that seclusion and privacy they had by kissing her. Now, her reaction and response to that was almost to freeze. 
and him observing that behavior and changing her demeanor, he asked her whether she was comfortable, to which she said no. And then he ceased kissing her, he ceased the level of intimacy he had been displaying. One of the challenges this young girl faced at the time was the fact that he was her pastor, somebody she looked up to. And so because of that, she didn't sort of feel that she had the ability or the capacity to speak out against it. Similarly, when I was in my interview very recently with somebody in New York and in Ghana, the pastor, Pastor Anita, in fact, shared an experience that she had with a pastor in the US. Having grown up in Ghana, she said that she was used to spending time with her pastor and his wife, going to their house, visiting frequently. So when she came to the United States, by her own admission, she was naive and thought that things were exactly the same with pastors in America. She then went on to explain how one such pastor in the US, when they were once again isolated, he said things to her. And in other words, what he was communicating to her is if she was willing, he was willing to engage in whatever idea he had, which in her mind and from how she expressed, would have been some form of sexualized abuse. Now from both stories that I've heard from Pastor Anita and from this young lady, in both instances, whatever took place and transpired did not go so far as to have been a serious criminal offense. However, in the instance of the young lady who shared with me this experience, the pastor held her hand and kissed her. Now, legally, that would be assault because it was unwanted. It was unwanted touching. And assault and also battery does not have to require for that touching, for that experience to have gone so far into sexualized behavior. And so rather than giving you a long explanation about the legalities of assault and battery, with this young girl, what was done to her was unwanted. She did not consent to that behavior. So in fact, it would have indeed been a crime. But as this young lady said, his actions of hand-holding her, they were not that serious. The kissing, however, would indeed definitely have been a crime, whether low level, of course, because it didn't go further, but it would have been a crime. And let's be realistic, if things were different, that kissing could have gone further into more inappropriate and, of course, sexualized behavior. And it could have become a sexual assault because you have various types of assault and it could have gone on from kissing, which was unconsented, and started off with a hand-holding, but it progressed on. And I want you to understand that in her instance, what started as support, having the platform to share confidentially, having a father figure for want of a better term, that progressed to hand-holding, which then progressed to kissing, which could have progressed further. And this young lady said to me that she understands that we cannot become consumed by a person's title, by their occupation or career. And I feel that is important. As a born-again Christian, the Bible says, by their fruit you will know them. And I feel that that is important for us to identify a person by their fruit, what it means by the person's character, not by their title or their status. 
When you look at a tree, you'll see the fruit that it bears, and you will know a tree by its fruit. By looking at the bark of a tree, by looking at the leaves, if you're not an expert, you have no clue what fruit it will bear. But when an apple and avocado is hanging off that tree branch, you can identify this is an apple tree, this is an avocado tree, because you're lo looking at the fruit, observing the fruit, and by observing the fruit hanging off the tree, you can identify this is an apple tree. If you see an apple hanging off a tree, you would not think it's a banana tree. You wouldn't think that. You would think it is an apple tree. And so likewise, as Christians, we know the Bible says, by their fruit you will know them, which means by how that person behaves, by their language, by their speech, by their character, not by their occupation, their title, their status. Doctor, reverend, priest, irrespective of whatever name they may have, what is the character of that person? I feel it's useful to provide signs and identifiers to enable the listening audience to be able to ascertain whether a person may possibly be a perpetrator, a potential perpetrator, or have perpetrated sexual acts against a child in the past. But of course, it's important to note that once again, anybody could indeed be a pedophile so looking at this checklist will not necessarily determine whether a person is or isn't, but it can definitely be useful in knowing what behaviors to look out for and what signs and identifiers. Now, I went on the internet and I pulled up a list of things that I will share with you today about how best you can identify a pedophile. Now, quite commonly, but not all the time, quite commonly, a pedophile is an adult male. Now, of course, my knowledge, having studied and research on child pornography, child abusers, particularly in the US, I can confidently say that there are many women who have perpetrated abuse. There are many women who have sexual deviances towards children. But statistics do show that the majority of perpetrators of sexual offenses against a child are indeed adult males. Now, this may surprise you, but in fact, they are usually married, in a relationship, or dating. And again, having studied and researched about sexual offenders, I have seen the commonality that they are often male, often married, or in some form of serious relationship, which is often why they're not suspected, and many times they have children of their own. So let's assume this pedophile sexually abuses girls, Quite often, he has daughters of his own, and if anybody was to perpetrate abuse against their daughter, they would react and respond to that, often violently, and would even say to people, if anyone touches my daughter, I will kill them. But for some reason, they seem to think it's okay for them to perpetrate offenses against someone else's daughter. Now, they may often work in a wide range of occupations, so that means, like I've just said, and keep saying, it could be absolutely anybody. They could be unskilled, they could be an executive, a police officer, a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, gym instructor. They could work in an office as a receptionist because there are male receptionists too. In other words, you cannot specify they work in this occupation or they work in that occupation. They could work in absolutely any. Now, this next point will make you probably think of Michael Jackson because pedophiles often relate better to children than to adults. And of course, when we know about Michael Jackson and we think about Neverland, 
and how he spent a lot of time with children, he certainly does come to mind. Now, does that make him a paedophile? The jury is out on that one. He either was or was not a paedophile, but primarily and quite commonly, when an individual, an adult male who is married, working in any occupation, relates better to children, this is sometimes an indicator that they are a paedophile, but remember, not all the time. There are just some adults who love children, who want to help and support them and have no ill motives towards them. On the back of that, they don't usually socialize with adults, so they tend to isolate themselves from being around adults. However, if they find like-minded adults, meaning like-minded pedophiles, such as through the dark web and various groups and platforms on the internet, then they will include those people into their friendship circle. They will reach out to them. Their socializing may not be in real terms, they may simply socialize through the internet, but they build and develop a form of friendship or platonic relationship, sharing pornographic images amongst each other, talking about their perverse sexual desires together in what they deem to be a safe space. Now, they usually also prefer children in a specific age group. Now, in my instance, being a victim of sexual abuse, I was abused between the ages of 4 to 10 by my stepfather. That was whilst I was in primary school. When I started secondary school, the abuse had ceased. Paused is a better term because it, my stepfather tried to revive things when I was teenage. But from 4 to 10, he would sexually abuse me during my sleep. And then when I turned teenage, he decided he wanted to start things up again. And there were two instances where he engaged with me, not in my sleep, he engaged with me. The first instance was when he showed me child pornography. Sorry, not child pornography. When he showed me pornography of himself and my mother. So let me rephrase that. It was not child pornography. He showed me a pornographic video of himself and my mother when I was teenage. And on another occasion, that was when my stepfather actually asked me to engage in sexual activity with him. And I said no and walked away. But aside from those two instances, in my experience, it stopped when I was 10. But then he tried to revive it. And what was different when I was teenage is that he tried to engage me. Now, because I was underage, it would not be consensual. But I'm going to use the loose term consensual, but with quotes. He tried to engage me when I was teenage where it would not have been consensual because I'm a minor. But in his mind, he was trying to give me that ability to consent to something that was a criminal act and indeed immoral because that is incest. Quite often also with paedophiles, they would prefer either male victims or female victims. Sometimes they like both, but quite often they prefer either male or either female victims. They may also spend a lot of time volunteering in programs of children. And I remember hearing about an American, he was a young, young male in his early 20s, if I remember correctly. And he would go and volunteer overseas in third world countries and he had been sexually abusing these children. And so when he'd been going back and forth, back and forth to, to support and to supply them with materials and aid, medicines and food, he was doing this for the purposes of getting close to that organization, getting close to that, those children, becoming, for want of a better word, their so-called savior by swooping in and meeting their needs. But he had an underlining motive. And I've heard of something very similar in Haiti, where the aid workers who had come from a very famous organization, I can't remember the name, 
They'd come over to provide support, but were in fact sexually abusing the young girls. Once again, in reference to the dark web, this paedophile may frequently collect photographs of children. So it could be children's magazines. He may take his own photographs. He may spend time at the swimming pool, at the beach, any opportunity where he can see children undressed, getting dressed, with very less clothing on, and he may take photographs of these children in slightly provocative fashions. Using the internet now, he can engage with children and ask them to take pictures standing in a sexualized pose, clothed, semi-clothed, or even nude. Branching on from that, he may also collect child erotica, child adult pornography, child child pornography, child animal pornography, which is bestiality. Because the sad reality is there is pornography that does exist with children being abused with animals. And having read cases of men with 20,000 images, 36,000 images, this breaks my heart. Some of these pedophiles do not go on to commit sexual offenses against children. However, please understand, child pornography images are not a victimless crime. A child had to be abused for those images to be created. And so therefore, even though he is not going on to enact crimes against children, by him viewing those images, by him purchasing those images, that is a demand. And therefore, the pedophile who is creating those images sees a need to create more images, to distribute more images. Because after all, the pedophile with 20,000 images, those images, to my understanding and knowledge, are not merely of one child. These are images of children from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, from all different parts of the world, including first world countries. This pedophile may also possess and furnish narcotics, that could be marijuana, more harder drugs, alcohol, and he will give these to the children to lower their inhibitions. When he's able to spend time with a young boy or girl, get them drunk, play games with them, video games, non-sexualized games, talk, bond, and their inhibitions are down, then he's able to take advantage of them without them putting up too much of a fight. And when they're engaging in illegal drugs or alcohol underage, they have a mutual secret. And that is how he's able to get that child to keep what is going on under wraps. Now, this may surprise you. But he is usually, or she, intelligent enough to recognize that they have a problem and they are very good at disguising that problem and will go to great lengths to conceal their illegal activity. Now, having attended a program quite recently with regards to the Philippines and cyber sex trafficking, the sad reality is that when these perpetrators of sexual abuse against children in the Philippines are detected, from their homes in the US, the UK and Australia, they have been arrested or their house has been searched for other crimes not relating to child sexual abuse. And so what is sad is that these men are able to get with what they're doing for a significant period of time until they come under the radar of the police for a non-sexual offense against a child and then that information is uncovered. So what about those individuals who never come under the eye of the police, who never come under the inspection of the police, they can continue that lifestyle 
of viewing images, of creating images, and be undetected for decades. Another thing that I've heard, both personally and through research, is that some of these pedophiles are convinced that they are helping that child, that it's mutual, that the child consents or the child likes it. I find this a very distorted and deformed way of thinking, because a child is a victim. A child is developing and growing. Children don't fully understand right from wrong, and if you groom them into believing that this is good, then that child will believe, and that will become their reality. In certain parts of South America, the pedophiles who go over there to have sex with children say, "Well, I'm providing money, I'm providing food, I'm giving them a good living. I think it's okay to provide food and to give somebody a good living." And to meet their needs, but not when they have exchanged sex for those things. If these men want to provide support to these children, young girls, young boys, then they can provide that without exchanging sex, because then that becomes a transaction, and that is not help. When the child suffers trauma, when that child becomes pregnant at a young age, develops an STD, that child has not been helped. That child has been harmed in a very destructive and sometimes in a way that has transformed their life. If they have had a child, their life has been transformed. They've now become a young single mother, and there are a lot of children in the Philippines who are half Filipino and half Australian. Why? Because the Australian men go over to the Philippines, may promise this woman a relationship, marriage, emigration to Australia. She gets pregnant sometimes intentionally or accidentally, and he runs away. He may sometimes support with a little bit of money, and then after a while, what often happens is he drops off the radar and stops providing financial support. That child will grow up knowing they're half Australian, that their mother was a prostitute, their mother had been violated, abused, sold for sex, and they have no idea who their father is. And there are a lot of children growing up in the Philippines who do not know their dads. Many of us do not know our fathers because he may be absent, maybe has children with lots of women. But I think it can be very difficult to come to terms with the fact that number one, your mother was a prostitute, and number two, your dad lied to her, deceived her, slept with her, made her pregnant, and then ran away. That must be very, very hard for these children to come to terms with. Understand, these men are very manipulative, and they will sometimes portray the child as the aggressor. Because the child will eventually discover, uncover that they can withhold sexual favors to get their desires—toys, clothing, McDonald's—and so in doing that, the pedophile will then label the child the aggressor and say that the child is manipulating me. The child wants sexual favors, but remember that child quite often has indeed been groomed, and this becomes their normal. It's also important to understand that some of these men will seek out publications, organizations that they can go to where their behavior will be normalized. And some of these pedophiles, they are non-violent. They have what we would deem to be healthy relationships with their spouse and their children, but undercover, under wraps, they are engaging in illegal sexual activity with children. One final thing I want to point out is that with female pedophiles. They are more likely to abuse boys than girls. However, in saying that, in Ireland, a number of years ago, there were issues of nuns, which are females, sexually abusing girls. 
And of course, we've all heard about priests sexually abusing boys, but as I say time and time again, priests, in my opinion, are not pedophiles. People are pedophiles who sometimes happen to be priests. I'll say that again. People who are priests are not pedophiles. Sometimes people who are pedophiles happen to be priests. So it doesn't mean priest pedophile, that's incorrect. People are pedophiles and they are sometimes priests. Not priests equals pedophiles, that is wrong. Because as I have said and as I have heard many a time of girls being abused by priests from different denominations, not from the Catholic Church, or religious leaders that are not even Christian. So it is not a priest issue, it is simply a people issue. I realize this is a lot of information to take in, and it'd be good to be able to take each one of these apart in future episodes, as I'll be sharing with you my own story and the stories of others to get you to better understand how to identify a pedophile, and of course on the other hand, how to identify a victim. Because now that you've got to grips with who a pedophile can be, from what I've said, it's so broad and vague, it is evident it can simply be absolutely anybody. But now the key is to be able to identify a victim so that when you see these behaviors in a pedophile, you can identify who are the victims of this pedophile. Or on the other hand, when you can identify a victim and you've got the signs of a pedophile, you can see who is perpetrating that abuse. I realize it is a lot of information to get your head around because everything I've said to you today is so broad I'm sure it is apparent that it really could be anybody. Whenever I do my programs, I always tell my audience when it comes to who can be a pimp, anybody is not helpful because really it isn't. It's too vague and too broad. But in this instance, when we're talking about pedophiles, I want to be very clear. It can be anybody because from what I've described, it is quite evident that absolutely any male or any female could satisfy that criteria. Maybe someone comes to mind, a young guy, a young girl, an older gentleman, an older woman who likes to volunteer with children. Does that make them a pedophile? Obviously not, but it's something to consider. When you take into account everything you've heard today and look at the various signs, just because somebody volunteers with kids does not make them a pedophile. But if the other criteria are satisfied, then that's when alarm bells would be raised in your mind. I hope that makes sense because I wouldn't want you to look at every potential volunteer as a pedophile. There are a lot of great people in the world who like to help. I like to help. I have friends who like to help and we have good and pure intentions. So please don't get that confused. But like I said, when it comes to pedophiles, it can be anybody. But with pimps, I feel it is a lot easier to identify because of certain things that they do that are very much in your face. With pimps, they often don't hide it. Because let's be realistic, in this day and age, prostitution is being glamorized. Being a pimp is glamorized. Pimp my ride, pimp my house, maybe even pimp my church. It's being glamorized. And often these men walk around very brazenly, especially when a girl is over 18, then there's no issue of consent when she's prostituting her body because she's an adult. With pedophiles, it's an offense against a child. So the dynamics are very, very different. I hope that makes sense. I really appreciate you all being here today. 
And I want to thank you for listening to today's episode of Can You Keep a Secret? Where we've tackled things from a little bit of a different perspective. I've used the anybody word, which I've never used before. And you don't expect, please don't expect to ever hear me use that word again. But it seems appropriate to use the anybody in relation to pedophiles. I trust the information has indeed been useful to you. I believe that we all need knowledge and education. And when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, who's a pedophile, who's a perpetrator, who's a pimp, it will enable us all to better safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics that were covered today and in the previous weeks, you should reach out to me to get a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message or email me so that I can answer your questions in upcoming episodes. There is a lot of information to cover on the topics of abuse, but sometimes there are specific questions that you may have in your mind that you want some advice on. You want a different perspective. You've been doing it this way. It's not been working. You've tried and failed. At the end of the day, knowledge is power and we can all learn from one another. I believe this educational series will impact and change not just your life, but the lives of people around you. You can find all of my contact details on my website, changingcases.org, that's changing, C-A-S-E-S.org, changingcases.org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family members. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just simply don't know it. But if we can all be educated then the world will indeed be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode. Can you keep a secret? Keep a secret. Can you keep a secret? I want to trust you. I want to trust you. So can you keep a secret?